A couple of weeks ago, I took my family to spend a week in a cabin at World's End State Park in Sullivan County, Pennsylvania. I've been going there since I was six years old, and I was thrilled to get the chance to show my suburban Chicago girls what I did on my summer vacations. We went hiking, we splashed around in the creek, built fires, made s'mores. It was a lot of fun. But on the last day, my seven-year-old wasn't feeling well, and the threat of tick-borne illness was just enough to make us think we should get her checked out before heading home. My husband took her to an ER in the area where she was diagnosed with an ear infection, and P.S., she's totally fine now. When they returned to the cabin that evening, she was carrying a big stuffed monkey. My husband gave me a knowing look, said something about the podcast, and handed me a postcard. It told the story of a little girl named Allie who received a stuffed monkey that made her feel better during a scary ER visit of her own. On her 10th birthday, she collected as much money as she could to buy monkeys to give other kids. It was through this effort that Allie's monkey movement was born, and this monkey called Lincoln made his way to my family. This gesture would have hit me in the feels anytime, but after being so involved in telling this stuffed bear story for the last year, I felt so much joy at seeing this gift. And as she drifted off to sleep that night, clutching her monkey in her arms, my own little girl told me that maybe someday she'd pass Lincoln along to someone else who needed him. I'm Erica Grotto. This is Survived By. This one time, this one I don't want to be alone. I didn't know Heidi Snow Senator in 1996, but after the crash of TWA 800, I felt like I did. Then Heidi Snow, she was 24 and living in New York City when she lost her fiance in the crash, a French hockey player named Michelle Breistroff. Her face was on every news channel, in every magazine. She appeared on CNN looking exhausted and grief-stricken, telling Larry King that sometimes what had happened didn't feel real. It would take a long time before Heidi would fully accept the loss of Michelle. When the plane crashed, everything stopped. My life stood still. We had expected a separation of just days, and suddenly it was forever. And I just remember turning on CNN and seeing... um, the burning flames in the ocean. And I just remember thinking there's no way he was on that flight. There's no way he was possibly on that flight. And, you know, and I was thought, well, of course he's strong, he'll survive, he can swim to shore. And I just remember all these emotions trying to make sure that he survived this, um, which obviously was very much impossible by the visuals I was watching. The day after the crash, victims' families gathered at the Ramada Plaza at JFK, awaiting news of their loved ones. Heidi was among them. I just remember arriving at the grief site with counselors and clergy, and the American Red Cross was there. And and then we, time went on, and we just you know kept going every day, hoping to get as much information as possible to make sense of what happened and. I know and with plane crashes, it just it takes so much time to learn what really happened. About two weeks later, the site shut down and his body still hadn't been found. Um, and the grief site closed. So I just remember returning home and, and having really no answers as to what happened to him and, and really holding on to hope that somehow he survived or swam to shore, all these things that everybody around me, you know, of course, said that doesn't make any sense. There's no way he survived. But it, it, it's what you know, got me through every day because it wasn't confirmed that he was actually gone. 
Um, and what I found really hard about that too is like, you, you know, when you're going through grief, you're really looking to, you need the person who's closest to you to be there for you. Michelle was a person that I needed the most at that time, um, you know, to get through my grief and he was not there. And so I just remember feeling totally alone and just so uncertain about what happened. Michelle's body was recovered about a month after the crash, but even the finality of that development didn't give Heidi any solace or closure. She had no script for this and no one to turn to, even the well-meaning friends who were encouraging her to move on. As the initial shock subsided, the agony intensified a lot. Um, my friends you know, really thought that I should be over it, but I was not. I was still in, in, in shock that this person I expected to spend my life with was gone forever. As Heidi searched for answers, she found the most help from people who understood because they'd been through what she was going through. She connected with a group of families who had lost loved ones in the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103. That flight, which had exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland, had killed 270 people, including 11 on the ground. The similarities between the two events had the Pan Am families seeking comfort with each other. But when Heidi showed up at one of their meetings, they welcomed her with open arms. I just remember showing up at that Pan Am meeting, which was so critical. These families had been through their losses for eight years, and they were all reliving their loss as they watched GWA go down. And it was just one of those places where I walked in, and I, it was the first time that I felt like I had the care that I needed. People who had been there before me who had survived, and I really needed that perspective and that hope. And I remember meeting a woman who lost her fiancé, and just sitting with her and talking to her and her perspective and seeing that she was still functioning and doing okay eight years later and learning from her. She was just an incredible role model for me. So I really learned at that moment how critical that support was for me. I had gone to get support in other manners, but I did not find them nearly as helpful as this. Heidi began gathering information from the members of the group to take back to the Flight 800 families, and she got to work matching people from the Pan Am group with people from the Flight 800 group who had lost someone in a similar relationship. Mothers were matched with mothers, siblings with siblings, and so on. Before the year was out, Heidi had formally created a nonprofit support group known as ACCESS, Aircraft Casualty Emotional Support Services. Two years later, Swiss Air crashed. So similarly, out of JFK, and then, you know, basically a lot of this is just responding based on demand. So all of a sudden, our Pan Am families, our TWA families, all came together as grief mentors to then provide care to the Swiss Air families. Um, and so we, you know, continued to use our model where we paired mothers to mothers, fathers to fathers, siblings to siblings, spouses to spouses, so that they too had somebody who could help guide them through their journey. Um, and so that was you know, basically how we started, just because unfortunately there were so many incidents out of JFK, um, you know, followed by Egypt Air happened shortly after that as well. And so our Swiss Air families became mentors as well. So we, we basically grew this huge population of volunteer grief mentors who we started training so that they could be on call for families um, when these incidents occurred. And, and now we have 250 grief mentors from air disasters dating back to 1960, um, you know, who have sometimes they're calling us for help from back then, and sometimes they're calling to be grief mentors themselves. 
Um, and we have these incredible people who are really are on call to make sure that other people don't go through it alone and know that there's somebody else who's been on this path before. So they can you know, use their harder knowledge to relay that information to those who are newly bereaved. Transparently, I'm an access volunteer, and the day I spent in February 2010 going through grief mentor training remains one of the most pivotal and meaningful experiences of my life. I learned so much that day, not just about grief, but about how unique an experience it is to lose a loved one in an air disaster. They're often high-profile events, for one thing. You heard Amy Kerstetter talking in episode one about the media response to Montoursville, and trust me, what she said barely scratched the surface of what happened there. Another issue is that investigations can take a long time. Sometimes people are waiting months, years, or in the case of 9-11, literal decades for their loved one's remains to be identified, if they're identified at all. Sometimes the remains are never recovered at all. And so, you know, we pair people up according to that. Like if we realize that it's been a long journey for them and they're like really have little hope of ever getting their loved one's remains back, I pair them up with somebody else who similarly had never had that opportunity because it's a different grief process. Um, so, you know, with Access, we really try to do the best we can to match up circumstances as well as relationships lost um, so that they, you know, can go through their journey with the common threads with somebody else who's been there. And then there are the things people just can't talk about to anyone else. Those unanswered questions that those who haven't been there don't want to hear asked. Did they suffer? Were they scared? you know, our loved ones? Did they know that they were going to die? All these things that we, uh, you know, a lot of families say, I just, and loved ones just say, you know, I just want to know what their last moments were like. Did they know? And those kinds of things that if you haven't been through it before, I think sometimes it's hard to uh, relate to, but those who have those thoughts on a regular basis to be able to talk to someone else who also has those thoughts um, is very validating. And so that's really why you know, we really value this peer system because it's somebody else who you know, walked in your shoes before and have thoughts that the rest of the world might think are not um, appropriate to have. But those of us who have you know, lived through it and all the unknowns um, you know, can really validate one another. What does this do for, for the mentors? Uh, I imagine this is, this is a really, it can be a healing thing too, to say, I went through something and I know that I can be of some good to someone else. So how, how does it affect, you know, do you get feedback on that? Yeah, so very much so. And a lot of people, you know, come forward and it's sort of an honor to do something productive with their loss because that, so we require that people um, can become grief mentors after two years because we want to make sure they have a perspective of time to share. And so a lot of people say, you know, the rest of the world moved on. Nobody even asked me about my loved one anymore but I'm so happy to have a place where I can still honor them, acknowledge them and, and do something productive with their loss and still honor them, still be able to talk about them and, um, and not have them be forgotten. So I do find that a lot of people like the ability to, you know, not have to hide their loss. It gives them a place where they can share and keep their loved ones alive. So I find a lot of people are very honored when they get their certificate that they've I, you know, gotten through this and it also validates that they've come to a certain place too, because in our trainings, we do have, you know, some people aren't ready after two years. 
So I know for some people they're like, oh, okay, I'm grieving. Well, I, I passed. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think it's, it provides some sort of sense of I made it to another level in my grief to be able to productively use it to help somebody else. Does it, does it, for lack of a better term, does it kick some things up too? I mean, does it ever, you know, I mean, because going, especially if it's been years, day to day, it might not be something that, that weighs a person down, but then having, I mean, I know like around the anniversary of TWA 800, uh, you know, I think about it a lot and it starts weighing on me a lot. Um, you know, does, does reaching out as a mentor ever, you know, mean that someone actually needs, needs some more help too? I mean, we have a, a program set up that if a uh, grief mentor needs someone to talk to after we, we have a person who's actually in charge of just that specific role. I have to say it's utilized a lot less than I'd anticipate <laughs> back to why I appreciate what you're bringing up because we prepared for that because we thought exactly what you said, um, that that might become an issue. We want to make sure that they have someone to help them um, after they talk to somebody. What we've learned from that is it doesn't seem to be uh, coming forward a lot from people. It seems that they're really appreciate this role and that it hasn't, um, you know, stirred anything up in a way that is beyond what they expected in having the conversation. But I appreciate you bringing up, we really did, um, we prepared for that. Heidi's life today is very different from the future she imagined for herself at age 24. But in doing the work she does, she's able to channel her worst day into something good for others. Prior to this, I, I worked in, in finance at a hedge fund. This is certainly not my life plan in any manner. Um, I, I, you know, in this case, for me, what really happened is the demand. Uh, you know, I thought this was something I would do on the side, and there's the Pan Am family helping TWA, and that's just something that would happen. But then when Swiss Air crashed, Egypt Air crashed, we put a website up, and we're suddenly getting calls from people from all different incidents from way back when, because they just never had specific care for air disasters. Um, we just grew so fast. And I guess I'm just so grateful for the community of the most generous and kind people who have the biggest hurts that I get to be with, who come forward to help other people. I mean, it just, I'm surrounded by the kindest souls who have been through so much hardship and their stories of survival are remarkable. And I just feel blessed that I get to be around, you know, people who have the compassion and care for other people. Heidi's work has had ripple effects, even in her own home. Her daughter, Sadie, now 16, latched onto the idea of peer support and saw her own unique opportunity to help people. I founded and started Comfort Kids for Kids for Grieving Children, which is an, an initiative that helps children that are going through the grief process at bereavement centers. How did this all start? What inspired you to, to do this? I started this when I was 10 years old after going through two losses of close family members. And I remember I went to school a few days afterwards and I actually started crying during the school day and no one there was able to comprehend exactly why I was doing that or what was going on and I had this feeling of being alone that no one else my age was able to comprehend what was going on in my life and no one was able to comfort me in a way 
where I felt that I was with someone else who knew what was happening. And that was really there for me because they understood what was going on. So I started this initiative because I wanted to let other children know that are going through this grief process that people are thinking of them. People their age that have made it through this process are thinking of them. As Sadie mentioned, comfort kits for kids are distributed through bereavement centers across the country. Most are aimed at children ages 5 to 12, although there are exceptions. She fills them with hand-picked items that are either donated or funded by a grant she herself wrote and received. Inside of each comfort kit, I have a stuffed animal. So sometimes it's a bear, sometimes it's a dog. It kind of depends on the age range that I'm giving to and what donations that I've received recently. And I give them stuffed animals because... It is something for, especially for younger children, it's something that they can carry around with them and they can snuggle with at night and some, just an animal that's there to comfort them. And it's kind of the same for older ages as well. It's kind of a way to give and show that I'm there for them. And so are other children. We're giving this comforting item to them to help them go through this difficult process in their life. I also include a pen, which I like to find fun pens, like pens with animals on them or fluffy pens, just something fun, and journals, because it can be really hard to talk to others about the grief process that one is going through, and being able to write down your feelings or draw if you're on the younger younger side of an age range or anything like that can be very, very helpful when going through the grief process. I also have digit toys because it's just something to do. And when you're thinking or when you're doing anything to fidget with, or if you're feeling anxious, you can fidget with a fidget toy. And I think it's really fun. And I know that a lot of kids really like them. So I like to include those too, just for fun. And sometimes I include other animals or squishies and stuff like that, just for fun. What do you think it means, not just to to get something, but to get something from a young person who understands what they're going through in a way that an adult just can't? I think it definitely means a lot to know that another child has gone through the same thing and made it through the same thing. Because adults, when you're a child, adults seem way stronger and they're, they feel so much older than you are. And it feels as though if they've been through it, it's okay because they've been through so much and they're so much older. But for children, it feels like they don't go through this as often. So just knowing that another child has gone through this and has made it through the grief process or has kept it going while going through it is really important and really makes that feeling of being alone start to go away. Sadie refers to herself as a child, and she is. But the way she talks, you can tell the experiences she's had in her young life have had a profound effect on her. She knows about access and what her mother does, but Comfort Kits for Kids is all her own. And it's obvious she feels that sense of accomplishment Heidi talked about that she's honored to help others who have been through difficult times. 
it definitely feels good to know that I took something really difficult in my life and turned it into a wonderful thing for many other people. And I'm so, so happy and grateful that I, I have been able to touch other people's lives and make a difference because that is really important to me. And that's really one of my big goals. In those difficult times, everyone or most people can take something that's really hard and make it into something amazing. And I think that's a very important lesson that I'm very happy that I got to learn early. And I think that I'll try to continue to do that as I grow older. Do you know yet what your, you, you know, want your future to be? Um, do you have a career in mind or are you still, still thinking about that? Um, I'm definitely still thinking about that. I'm not completely sure what I'd want to do in my future. You've got time. You've got tons of time. (laughs) I mentioned before that my day of access mentor training was a meaningful one. And I debated sharing this story on the podcast, but I know a lot of people need to hear it. As I sat in the room that day, I listened to people tell their stories of loss, unimaginable, horrific loss. And with each one, I felt less and less like I belonged. The crash of TWA 800 changed me but it didn't change my ability to live the life I'd been planning. There was no bedroom in my house full of the belongings of someone who wouldn't come home to them. There was no one missing from my wedding. I felt like an imposter in that room. And when it was my turn to speak, I said as much. And my fellow attendees proved themselves to be the kind, generous people Heidi described. They not only assured me that I had a right to grieve, but that my presence reminded them they weren't the only ones who missed the people they'd lost. To them, I represented the friends, the neighbors, the colleagues of their loved ones. Since releasing the first episode of this podcast, I've heard from several people who at some point have felt like I did in that training, like they couldn't talk about what had happened, couldn't grieve, couldn't use their experience to make a better day for someone else. So if it's never been said to you, I'm telling you now, there's a seat at that table for us all.